Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hi there, my wise and beautiful friends. It's great to be back with you after the Easter break. And thanks so much for joining me for episode 57 of Collective Wisdom, which is all about men and masculine roles. It's a subject we really can't afford to ignore, given that the highest cause of death in men under 50 in the Western world is suicide. And in a world where there are some pretty toxic masculine role models asserting their power in ways that are so catastrophic for society in general, it's really something that's been front of mind for me lately. So I turned to my friend Fiona Ross, who's been noticing all of this too for a long while now, and that's what called her to become a coach for men, creating a safe space for them to redefine the rigid masculine roles that can destroy lives and wreak havoc on relationships. Fiona also shares some information about a very special event she's hosting at the end of April with a coach, Steve Hardison, who you may never have heard of, but who is legendary in the field of professional development. But who one client, Ian Levanzant, very famously said, if I had one gift that I could give to every human being on the planet, it would be to have a coaching experience with Steve Hardison. Wow, that's some testimonial. So I will leave Fiona to explain the details, but There will also be links in the show notes to where you can find out more about that ultimate coach experience, which is happening at the end of April in London, your opportunity perhaps to meet someone absolutely amazing. But for me, I'm going to settle for my conversation with Fiona, who is also pretty amazing and which I thoroughly enjoyed. And I think you will too. My guest today is my friend Fiona Ross. I met Fiona recently as part of a coaching forum we are both members of, and I was instantly drawn to her story and the work she does. Fiona is a coach, trainer, and clinical hypnotherapist who focuses on working primarily with men. In that capacity, she specializes in supporting the men folk in our lives to embrace their masculinity whilst at the same time learning to bring in the feminine to create an unbeatable combination that works together in harmony. And in that process helps to create the life, career and relationships that they dream of. She's also host of her own podcast, No More Pea Soup. As a mother of two boys myself, and Fiona is also a mother of a a 20 year old son, in a landscape that is changing all the time, I really wanted to talk to Fiona about what she's learned about masculinity and the ever shifting perceptions of it and how that is actually so relevant to us all, men and women. Fiona says of her own work, as women, we're generally pretty good at finding the support from one another that we need. But for men, that isn't always the case. Men often suffer in silence and she's on a mission to change that. Talking to or working with me is like talking to a trusted friend about your innermost secrets, fears, or frustrations. 
but without the fear of ridicule or judgment. I think that's what I really responded to most. And definitely the conversation we had felt like we were straight into a really special conversation with a very trusted friend. So a warm welcome to the podcast, Fiona. It's such a joy to have you here. And thanks for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me um, and to talk about a subject that is so very close to my heart. Absolutely. And that comes through in everything you say and do. So tell me a little bit, if you will, about how this mission first kind of made itself clear to you, how it first came about. Well, it's, it's funny you say that, because as you ask me that question, I think probably I have to look at the golden thread that's always been in my life. I grew up with boys. You know, I had a brother. I grew up with two boys next door. All my cousins were boys. And I was fascinated as kind of the only girl in the group. I was kind of fascinated around how they tick. I was also the youngest, so they could all do things that I wasn't allowed to do. And I used to look at it and think it's because they were boys, you know, they could climb trees, they could stay up late. They, you know, they just seemed to have this most incredible life. And I often would wonder, I wonder what it's like to be a boy. Wow. Wow. Do you um, think you tried to, to sort of step into that and, and, and like act like the boys, be like the boys? Um, I saw so I was a bit of a tomboy as a child, definitely. But I can remember at some point, probably when I was a little bit older, but not um, certainly not anywhere near my mature teenage years, thinking, oh, I'm actually quite glad I'm not a boy because they're going to have to grow up and, and support a family. And, and, I, and I understood the pressure mm. that, that they, were, they were growing up into, that they had to have a career. And, and I was very much brought up in an, in an age and in a, in a world where um the expectation around around was that I would get married and have a family and not have a career it didn't work out that way but that was kind of the expectation that it was the sea I grew up in it was this it was the water I swam in yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and I remember thinking gosh that's quite a pressure imagine having to not just look after yourself but look after other people as well Absolutely. and be responsible for other people as well so I think I've always had a, a kind of an innate understanding of the masculine. And then I, you know, I grew up in the eighties. It was, you know, it was all power and shoulder pads and, you know, Margaret Thatcher and Madonna and princess Diana were our feminine role models, all very extreme role models, you know, from, you know, I've often said we had, we had the kind of the impotent queen, the femme fatale, we had the um, the sex kitten, and we had the and they we had the Iron Lady, you know that very strong masculine thing. So as, as girls, we had a, a, the women in Britain that were influences in our lives, were these very extreme female archetypes, if you like. So I was always quite fascinated by that. But winding on through a lifetime to twenty seventeen. I, I was invited to go to a, to a conference in London called the One Woman Conference. Mm. Now, I've never been a feminist. I've always been fiercely independent, but I've never really been a feminist. I've never quite, I've never quite understood their, what appears to me, and, and I might have this very wrong, um, but it appears to me that there's 
there's a, a, a desire to swap this dominance from male dominance to female dominance and that I don't agree with I, I don't take one out and replace it with the other yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah, be, yeah. don't beat men with the same stick that women have been beaten with kind of thing there's got to be a different way it's not about just swapping these two um, areas of, of dominion essentially dominion over others so uh, for me, I'm, I'm all about equity. I'm all about people getting what they need. Yeah. And that yeah. balance that, you know, when you describe it is a play, an interplay between masculine and feminine. And it sounds like you've always had empathy for men and the roles, but also a little bit of curiosity that has mm. led you to really explore that, that double sidedness that, so it's, it's, it's about saying, we, we're not exclusively feminine or exclusively masculine. And actually it's that wonderful combination when you get the two going together. Yeah. yeah and I've also had a very strong rebellious streak that, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't fit into that mold of being a good girl and, you know, just finding myself a nice husband and yeah, yeah, yeah. children, you know, I, I've done, I've had a very varied life that has not trodden the, uh, the path of that my certainly that my father expected me to have um so yeah and and all of these things come into you know they all kind of come into play when it comes to finding out what your passion is in life i think all of these strings threads throughout your life suddenly intertwine at some point um yeah i was never i was never blessed with that i want to be a doctor I want to be a, you know I was never blessed with, with knowing exactly what I wanted as a child or or even growing up and it's taken quite a long time so I found myself at this one woman conference which was an amazing an amazing conference run by a company called one of many who are on a mission to empower women to embrace their feminine power rather than women stepping into their masculine Mm. and trying to beat men at their own game it's you've got your own strengths as women so be women be feminine wow. use your feminine power um and I loved them so much I actually went on to train with them as a women's coach and uh, and I took I did all of their courses pretty much and so I became a trainer and all sorts of things with them but what happened at this conference was it was a two-day conference and we'd been really exploring feminine power um, that they term as soft power. And we'd looked at our ancestry. We'd looked at all the people that came before us who have made us who we are. So, you know, we were looking at the seven generation thing. So we were, we were looking at the seven generations of, of people that had to survive and procreate and we and then have children that survived and procreated and survived and procreated to bring us to this point in in time today that you and I are here mm. so there are 64 people involved in that journey over seven generations wow fascinating and if you were able to kind of go back and pick any one of them and say what what do you want for for life most people say I, I, I want a better life for my children and for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children you know the children's children's yeah. children thing 
So the question was kind of raised, who are you, one of 64 people, for the next seven generations? For the, for the people that are going to be sitting where you and I are sitting today in seven generations' time, what are you doing to impact the world that creates their future? Yeah. Which is a very profound, deep, yes. deep question. So we did a kind of a meditation on this and we went on a, a, on a kind of a journey. It was a guided meditation on a journey through these seven generations out into the future. And sadly, the vision I had was one that wasn't very pleasant. It was, if we carry on on this trajectory, we are going to pretty much kill off the planet. And what I do you remember the movie Wally, where mm, um, the robot. robot, yeah, goes out and he finds it, it was kind of that image in my head, that burnt planet where nothing was growing anymore. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a great image. But then as we started to come back through time in this meditation to the present day, it was what needs to happen, what would be happening to bring us back to today and the question. Who are you being today that's going to affect that? And I was kind of overcome with this. It's fantastic what women are doing in the world, that they're stepping into their rightful place and, and stepping into that power, but not at the expense of men. What about the men? We need them on this journey with us. We can't just ignore them and say, well, they've all been bad guys because they've been in charge for so long and this patriarchy thing has got to come to an end. We've got to include them in the journey. Yeah. So there's as much adjustment for men to do as there is for women to do, for us to really live into being good human beings and creating a, a great space for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children, et cetera, for seven generations. Yeah. So that, that makes total sense that you're, you're really almost forming a bridge between this sort of hard, fast, we've got to change the narrative. We've, we've got to disrupt the patriarchy, if you like, but not tear it all down completely and leave nothing standing. It's, I don't think it's even not about, we, we have to change dominion over others. Mm, which is a very masculine Which entity. is what the patriarchy has been about. Yeah. Um, you will do my bidding. It's overexpression of, of the king archetype. It's um, you belong to me. So whether you're a chattel or a, you know, you're, you're a slave or any of those, I have control over you that we, we have the place for dominion is over yourself, mm. not over others. Yeah. So who would you say, so you, you have this vision and it's a very powerful one that it's actually men that you need to help address some of that is toxic masculinity, a little bit stronger word. I don't know. Um, um because the reason that I, I, I think it was, it was just this seeing from this perspective suddenly made me look at 
all the men in my life. You know, I love men. Mm. You know, I was a daddy's girl until I, you know, teenage years, and I've got a son and I have a partner. And, you know, I, I love, I grew up with boys. I love boys. I yeah. love men. The masculine is fascinating to me, and it always has been. And I see men struggling to understand where they fit as things change. Because if you think of the, if you think of this, and one of the examples I often use, do you remember Windows XP when uh -huh. Windows XP came out? So I think it was 2000, 2000, 2001, something like that. Windows XP, we were all like, yes, what an amazing operating system. This is fantastic. And Mr. Clippy would do his little dance at the bottom of Word and you could ask him questions. And, and it was amazing. And if we were still running our computers on Windows XP, you and I would not be speaking today because none of this would run on Windows yeah, XP. Yeah. So I think what's happened with masculinity is that there's been generation upon generation of of influence nurture that has created and, and women have been part of this patriarchy let's not forget who brings these these boys up mm, mm, so but true women have perpetuated it as well it's not just been the men you know saying how it is women have you know, this is how it's gone so this programming has been in them for thousands of years yeah, thousands yeah. of years boys have been told you're going to go and do all the hunting and the shooting and you're going to go and do the providing and everything and the women are going to nurture and look after the children it's only been since really since the 1960s 70s that this has changed so we've got a lot more programming that says this is how it is than we have the, the new way mm. And so what, when, what I'm looking at is a, is a situation where we've kind of got to update that programming for men. And quite rapidly, we, we need to bring them up to, you know, Windows, whatever we're on, Windows 11 or wherever we are now, to bring them into what's relevant for them today because the old programming isn't serving them. No. And I love the way you are bringing that, you, you've mentioned archetypes a couple of times already, but really helping name those roles, name the types of ways that masculinity shows up. So tell us a little bit, if you will, about, yeah, that, that, that whole, the archetypes and how they show up and how you use that in your work. So with archetypes, so Jung popularized archetypes, um, so an archetype is a, a universally understood model. So you could go anywhere and, and say lover and everyone's going to kind of know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. We all have this innate understanding or you could say father or you could say king and, and everyone will kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a, he's a king. Oh, right, I understand that. So we kind of innately understand what, what these archetypes are. And I've utilized six masculine archetypes. And it's not about identifying with one of them. We normally have a dominant one. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but but we have we we can occupy these archetypes in all at the same time. So these six archetypes that I use are the king, the warrior, the sorcerer, the hero, the father, and the lover. And if you think of them, when I talk to guys about these, I, I talk about them as a toolkit. So if you are very dominant in, in one of these archetypes, you will have a tendency to do everything from that. So, so let's say you, you've got a very strong warrior archetype. Mm-hmm. You're very driven. You go out, you hit deadlines, you're, you, know, you, you, you play a lot, you're fun, you're gregarious. It's this kind of just getting stuff done. That's great in certain parts of your life. But if you come home and you want to have a nice romantic evening with your partner and you're still in this warrior kind of, come on, we're going to go out for dinner. We're going to eat the best everything. We're going, then we're going to a movie. And it's about a bit kind of, that's kind of not going to woo a woman <laughs> particularly. So you need to be able to shift into another energetic space. Yeah. You need to be able to shift in, into, for this example, you'd want to shift into lover. You might want to have a little bit of the warrior in there. Not about it's not about being wrong. It's about going. Oh, actually, I could utilize a different tool. So the phrase I use with the guys that I work with is: if you only have a hammer, everything's a hammer problem. <laughs> you smash it with a hammer. Yeah, exactly. So if that's the only tool in your toolbox, and you want to yeah. you want to saw a piece of wood in half, and you've only got a hammer, you're going to smash it. <laughs> so that's a great image. <laughs> yeah. So, so I teach these guys about these archetypes and how the each, each archetype exists in its balance in a harmonious space. Also what it looks like when you're either overdoing it and you've got too much of that archetypal energy or under expressing in it where you're not, you're not stepping into the energy of that archetype. So there's, there's quite a few um, angles to it. And then understanding how to roam through these archetypes so you can access whichever energy you need for whatever you're doing and whoever you need to be in any given moment and it's really fascinating really fascinating to see when you start to see men stepping into maybe some of the archetypes that they're less connected to so if you if you're not connected to lover you're probably not going to be too bothered about what you're wearing mm. you know you're probably not going to be too bothered of you know it's going to be a quick shower shave off, off out the door what you see is probably what you get gonna, yeah this is it exactly probably don't you know maybe don't make the bed maybe aren't too bothered about your surroundings how beautiful they are or or scents or you know i, I think teenage boy in in university kind of age yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know hasn't made the bed wearing the same socks you know that not really taking care and 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 looking after that part of them it might be expressed in certain areas they might love cooking which would be a very lover archetypically lover thing to do to cook and make things beautiful and taste nice very sensual is the is the world of, of the lover and it includes sex and it includes um 
you know all of all its self-love and love for others yeah so it's it's quite a complex one but you'll often find men that aren't connected particularly to that probably haven't got great intimate relationships they don't understand intimacy um and they're kind of constantly just going back to a default almost and wondering why why this is never working and what you're doing is saying how about changing the approach slightly or or literally picking up a different tool yeah so a lot of the work that i'll do and it varies from from client to client how i how i use this but it's about getting it in their bodies not academically understanding Mm, it a lot of men are very cerebral they 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 think about things and this is about getting emotionally connected to things and sadly a lot of men don't have a great connection to the to the full emotional range no i think that's something i see a lot you know even being the mother of boys but also it, that maybe is part of this conditioning that in order yeah. to survive and be, be that strong. yeah macho yeah. man you, yeah. you need to leave the emotions behind really because if you're feeling too much then it gets hard yeah so it's it's the boys don't cry you know, you, you can just hear it. Through, you can hear your grandparents and your parents, and it, you know, it's like big boys don't cry. Grow up, be man. a man. Yeah, man up. All of these phrases that young men grow up hearing cuts them off from their emotions. Yeah, it it, it doesn't allow them to feel. So they reach manhood with a, a limited range of emotions. And I was talking to a to a chap a little while ago and, and he said yes yeah, men men come in they have three emotions they have angry hungry and horny which makes life a lot easier <laughs> which box am i operating from today <laughs> yeah yeah that's kind of and, it, and that really made me laugh but but it made me laugh from quite a sad point of view as well yeah. because you know it, although it's it funny and it's a joke it's it's not so far from the truth um, no. And I loved what you were saying was often you will say to a man who's come to you from a coaching capacity, what are your needs? Mm. And then you make the joke about not just how, how, how many times a week, but, but that's yeah. often a question nobody's asked them. Oh, me need something. Yeah. And, and this is a really interesting area because uh, and we're looking at needs in the context of the things that get you to being okay. Mm, this mm. isn't like what are your desires and your wants and your ambitions and your dreams. This is what do you need so you function? It's kind of a baseline level yeah. of I'm okay at this if at this level. Yeah. And, you know, and I ask guys about their needs and yes there is the and I don't just mean how many times a week kind of thing and intimacy is a need it's a human need um but they haven't even looked at you know that they might be like oh yeah okay get down the gym and I know I need to you know I need to go for a run or something like that but to actually quantify how much sleep do you need how much water do you drink a day? How, what sort of food are you eating? Mm. When you start breaking it down, when was the last time you went out with a friend of yours and had a good 
man-to-man talk you know what are your what do you need that without those things if you imagine taking those things out like take you're not getting enough sleep you're not eating properly you're not exercising properly you're not seeing your friends and connecting you've got no intimacy in your life or very little intimacy you can imagine how how you're now operating from a subpar oh god level yeah. yeah just existing just existing and that's when you get the mental health issues and the depression and the anxiety and the stress and the lack of connection and the breakdown of relationship and yeah drinking too much and this is this is how it all starts to fall apart so actually getting guys to understand that they have a right to to alone time to to do everyone's better off when you're okay Mm. yeah everyone Mm. and I, i think that is what's so powerful about the work you're doing this is about understanding yourself which for a lot of men that's that maybe is a conversation that it kind of resides in the feminine, you know, we are much better at um, asking for help, finding friends who we can trust, going for a long walk and, and, and just venting and, you know, all that stuff that, that women do have a more natural inclination to access. But you also, yeah. And that is something that's a learned behavior, isn't it? And and for the women in our, I, I, I can cite a lot of women who, are in very dominant roles in maybe a corporate environment and it causes burnout and all sorts of, of, of illness because they're trying to strive and, and not access those things, you know, by, by definition of just being in that environment. But what I think I love about what you're doing so well is once you've created that awareness, it's also then how, how is that going to relate to the people in your life? You know, you even bring in the whole, um, even if your wife doesn't track her periods, maybe you could just have some empathy for those hormonal swings and balances and how, how powerful that is. Just the understanding because, you know, I mean, I, I, I've gone out of the others. I don't have periods anymore. Um, but my period started when I was 13. So I had the vast majority of my life having periods. And when you're in it, you don't understand it as a woman. Mm. Very often you kind of, you know, it, it, it's only afterwards you go, oh, that's why I was a bit teary. <laughs> you know, or... <laughs> and it's all fine today. That's why I bought that orange outfit or or whatever it is, because you're not yourself. And, you know, it's not like we, if we're not understanding it, we're not getting our guys to understand it either. Mm. And if, if the, even if they just understand where, what the cycle does to the, to a woman's emotional state. Yeah. Then, then they'll know where to, where and when to, to act and how to be with their partner. Yeah. And it's that, who, who, who do you need to be? Who do you want to be in this moment in order to get back to that harmony where if there's a bit of discord going on, what can I do rather than, you know, cause we, we joked about that um, Roseanne Barr comedy yes. series where she did a little aside one day and she went, I don't know what it is, but every single month he just starts behaving so 
irrationally and it's pissing me off (laughs) every single month (laughs) and it's just that it's that you're so right that you have agency over yourself and I think if more men that I think that's what you mean about bringing in the feminine it's it's just bringing in those those feelings of of empathy the skill sets around vulnerability um yes just playing and, and, to both sides see, of themselves i think men do have uh, as women have an amount of masculinity in them men have an amount of femininity in them but i, I don't think men are exclusively I don't think masculine traits are exclusively hard. I think men care deeply. Mm. They care so much. They just don't express it because they it's seen it's seen as they perceive it's seen as weakness. Yeah. And that's the last thing a man wants to be perceived as is yeah. is weak. And for men to see the strength the strength in their masculinity contains that vulnerability to be truly courageous you have to be vulnerable yeah and that is you know that's it was what we were talking about with the how men tend to operate in a very hierarchical way I will have to submit to you if I show weakness I will have to say you're you're more powerful than me you're the top dog and and women don't tend to perform in that way anyway it's it's much more of a linear let's collaborate yeah. i mean let's... the handshake is this weird magical thing that a man will shake another man's hand and in that action it's like they transmit where they are in that hierarchy yeah i'm dominant i'm i'm not i'm i'm, I'm better than you i'm less than you i'm whatever whatever their thing is it's it's transferred somehow in that handshake yeah um, and and you can you can see that there will be a a stacking of well what car does he drive how much does he earn who does he work for where am i in that oh, status I don't, I don't really like being around jim because jim's always telling me how great he is or you know and it's it's a minefield for guys in in this in this way yeah um, Whereas when they're just being themselves and and having that wholeness about, imagine if you think of all these archetypes around a wheel mm. and, and then you being having access to all of them puts you right in the center of that wheel. Then your wheel goes round evenly. If you move the center of that axis, slightly out of alignment you've got a really wobbly kind of kind of wheel so it's it's having access to all of this masculinity yeah yeah in in an even and balanced way that gives men the most attractive masculine power the most powerful masculine power so it's not about them not being masculine it's not about them not being men i don't want i don't want my men to be like women Mm. i've got women i've got my girlfriends you know i want my men to be men and most women 
want their men to be men and be masculine and be powerful. Yeah. Um, but even that, the way that you... allows yeah. them to be feminine because it is this interplay between the masculine and feminine yeah. that everything works so well when everyone's being who they need to be. But that, I remember the, the thing that stuck with me most about like the king, when it's overextended, it's like, you'll do as I say at all costs and everybody's pretty miserable. Whereas when the king starts to operate from a place of empathy, understanding, bringing other people along, it's so much more attractive as a form of leadership. Yeah, so the king archetype in balance and, and you think of it, think of this as somebody who is the ruler of a, a realm. Mm, mm. So he serves his people and he is served by his people. He is fair. He thinks of everyone in his realm. His decisions are based on the benefit of all. So he is fair. He will seek counsel. He will ask his his trusted advisors for that advice. He will look after his own needs because he knows that if he's not okay, then he can't rule his his realm. He can't yeah, be yeah. in charge of that. You know, people go to him for sanction, for to be seen, to be understood, to to be heard. And an imbalance, the king is such a powerful archetype. But if he goes into overexpression, then now we're looking at that narcissistic, it's all about me, that paranoid, you will do as I say. And, and the queen, you know, archetypically women can do this too from their queen archetype, the drama queen kind of mm, archetype. Mm, mm. It's all about me, 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 you'll do as I say, serve me, serve me, and there's very little going back the other way. And then if the, if the balance is, is too little and, it, and they drop down out of this and they have very little king energy, then they're going to abdicate responsibility for the realm. They're going to be, oh, it's not my business. Not up to me. You, mm. you do it. And they will, they will defer that um, to boss, wife, girlfriend, mother, father, somebody, just somebody else take it off my hands. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. have no agency. And it's, and it's not that anyone's just going to have one of these archetypes, and you might find that they range through it. They might be very present in certain areas of their life and, and abdicate in others. You'll find a very powerful man, maybe in the office and in his career, gets home and, you know, looks, at, looks to his wife for all the other decisions. And yeah. he abdicates his kingness when he's at home. Oh, you decide, dear. Which doesn't always lead to harmony. Which is not, yeah. No, which is not necessarily what, what the partner wants. Mm. Mm. No, I think it's, it's just such a powerful way. And as you say, it's a, it, it's a toolbox. And I wish it was more openly discussed, uh, that there were more forums for, for men to to share some of this, you know, how it feels for them, you know, given that the suicide rate in young men is so high, I think it's... In, in all, across, across the range, I think, I think I'm right in saying um, the kind of the, the, the middle-aged, the 50-year-old kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. 
that's also massive. Yeah, just that whole sense of, and as you say, because there's been a shift in, we're, we're at risk of the pendulum swinging so far the other way. And that's not to say it's not, it's not a good thing that, that these things are shifting and that women have more, what is the word? I don't even think the word is control, but just more access to things that were in a men, male domain, things mm. like careers and um, mm. financial independence. I think that's hugely important because it was such a control mechanism for so many mm. years. But at the same time, what I love about your message is let's not leave the men behind. No, it, it, we, 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 we need the masculine. Mm. Mm. We need the masculine. Nature runs on masculine and feminine. That's yeah. the whole planet runs on this. We can't, we can't, we can't marginalise men. No, no. Now, you, you are somebody who spends your life therefore really looking from a very curious and inquisitive and almost scientific way of, of observing and then looking at how we can make things better, make changes. Um, and you, you, you help people overcome their challenges, but I'm sort of really interested in, in your own challenges. What has been the challenge for you in getting to this place? where you feel comfortable having these conversations? So to answer that, I mean, there's, there's always, everyone has challenges all the time. It's, I think life is a constant. Yeah, yeah, so true. In order to grow, there's always something to, to move through. I always think of, you know, if you, if you plant a seed and you just sprinkle a little bit of earth over the top of it, you tend to get quite a weak little thing come through whereas if you put a decent amount of soil on the top and you don't pack it down so hard it's got no chance at all but you know it's got a little bit of struggle mm. then what grows tends to be a good strong healthy plant so, true. so I kind of feel, feel a little bit like that about about challenge but yeah I, I don't think you can if people are coming to you for support, I think they, it's good that they know that you've also had challenges and overcome challenges and that it's not just an academic understanding of things that you've actually had to put some of this into practice yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because I think that's where we do get our empathy. And as you said, the resilience to, to understand what it takes to, to do this tough stuff comes from those challenges. Yeah, so so um, my I have many stories. I lived in India for many years, and um, I was married to a Canadian chap, and we we had our son out in India, and and probably the biggest challenge I've had to face in life was the collapse, not just of my marriage, because when a marriage collapses it tends to be a whole life that collapses alongside it uh, yeah. but it was it was the collapse of that that life and I was 45 and I lost my home I lost my marriage I lost my community I lost pretty much everything I refer to it as when the universe played plunk with me and it and it literally was a period of so many elements of my life just 
kind of disappearing in, in a puff of smoke mm. in front of me. It's like, okay, so your contract is gone and your marriage is gone. And there's so many different elements. And I was, I was almost, I probably did have other choices, but I couldn't see those choices. I was very, I was in the dark with like a miner's lamp on my head and I could only see whatever the light was shining on. Nothing connected. I couldn't see how to, how to, to work. Well, that's how it feels though isn't it when everything's torn down I mean you just don't feel like you have options you can't access that bigger picture no, thinking no not at all so um and and as a mother uh, and my son was uh, eight years old at the time and as a, as a mother making sure he was okay was my primary my, my primary driver I suppose so um, having spent a year trying to work out what I was going to do, I had a light bulb moment of, I'm going to go back to the UK. Mm. Um, and I literally arrived, I mean, thank goodness for my mother, because I literally I phoned her up and said, uh, we're booked on a flight in two weeks. And I packed up my house and everything, took what I could into whatever my luggage allowance was for me and my eight-year-old son, and rocked up with with my mum with 200 pounds in my pocket a credit card debt because i put the flights on it and um started again unbelievable yeah and it was it was right you know it, it felt like i was right at the bottom yeah and having to reprioritize what was important and to to start balancing things and to become a single parent um hugely challenging yeah so it was a real it, it it was almost like a shift in identity all your identities all your old scripts were torn yeah. up yeah and you had this blank canvas which which in a way is incredibly exciting depending on how you look at it wow i've got a blank canvas mm. but when it is a blank canvas you can also sit in front of it and go oh I don't really know what to draw. <laughs> I'm a bit bored of this now. Yeah, I just want to be not oh here. My God, what is what is it? What am I going to paint on that canvas? There's so many. But I think it's that that insight from that huge amount of vulnerability from being in that place that's yeah. made you the powerful coach you are today. Yeah, quite probably because I I, I know. So I. I one of the things that I know about men when it comes to asking for support and help, generally they will wait until the crisis has, is upon them. Mm. And that crisis could be a health crisis. It could be a relationship crisis. It could be a financial crisis. They, they, they have, there is a tendency to think if I don't look at it, it'll go away or I'm too invested to do anything different now or I've got a family and they're all reliant on me, so I'm just going to have to keep doing it. Got no option. No choice. Yeah, that's very common, I think. Um, and so often they actually hit crisis. Mm. And, and then somebody says, I think you need to get a little bit of help. I really want to talk to guys before that happens. Yeah. Because everything they've worked so hard to achieve, and men sacrifice a lot. Yeah. And it's not recognized by women how, how much men sacrifice. Women do tend to think, well, men have got it all. They've always had 
had it all. Yeah. They get the choices. It's us that sacrifice. But men sacrifice hugely. Mm. They sacrifice themselves to provide because, and I'm not saying that women don't provide. I'm talking about the, the feelings that men have and the men that I talk to. It doesn't matter if their wives earn more than them. They still feel the responsibility of provision. Yeah. And that is part of that conditioning in our society, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So understanding, you know, we, we talked the other day about, if you look at the sacrifices men make, most military personnel, not all, but most military personnel are men. Most people in prison <laughs> are mm-hmm. men. Most people with alcohol and drug abuse problems are men. Yeah. Most of the grotty jobs that are done, who goes down the drains and does the rats and, you know. Get that spider. Get the spider. (laughs) Is it done by by men? Yeah. Yeah. So there is a hero archetype as well, you know, that it does Mm. feed in. It's, It's part of who they are. But I don't think as women we should neglect to understand that part of them that will stand in front of us and take the force of the blow, that does feel responsible for their families and providing for their families. Even I say that coming from a marriage where I didn't have a husband who did that. He was an abdicator. He Mm. abdicated responsibility. Mm. So even though I brought my son up from eight years old on my own with no financial support and what have you from, from his father, or any support of any description from his father, um, I still understand that in in men, that is very present in most of them, not all of them, most of them. But also it's given you real understanding of what that feeling of perhaps sacrifice, but perhaps responsibility, perhaps having to do it all on your own, really do understand that. Unlike someone who perhaps has parented with two parents always around and, you know, my own experience has been, I can lean into somebody else. So I don't have that deep, deep understanding of even within a partnership, some men can feel if I don't keep doing this, the whole thing's going to fall over. And, and, that, and that's the sad, the very sad thing is that that's what I mean by the crisis hitting the, the probably the area that suffers first is the relationship. Mm-hmm. And because men jump on this, I've got to provide for my family and they, their career is driven. And and as women, we might look and say, you're always at work, but the guys are always at work because they've got two kids and they want to provide two holidays a year and a nice car and a great house. And then they live in a nice place and all of those things. Yeah. yeah, They don't want to be working at 11 o'clock at night. Not really. They don't know how not to. Yeah. So we might be perceiving that as you don't give the family enough time. They're perceiving it as I don't have a choice. So they're sacrificing. Mm. And then the relationship falls apart. And generally, who is it that loses con- everyday contact with his kids? Yeah. 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 So true. Generally, the men. It's not always. And there are, I and mean, it's great to see now you've got a lot more co parenting and, you know, really s- stepping into. The responsibility of, of both parents but also the kids suffer 
Yeah. Because now they're going between two houses and I've left this game at that house and I haven't got that pair of shoes or 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 whatever. And so the, the very thing that those men have wanted and worked towards falls apart because they're not taking care of their needs. They're not looking at at everything in balance they will be over expressing or utilizing only a few tools that they've got in their toolkit yeah and i'm pretty sure that your own toolkit because it was built out of such necessity you know you you you've clearly ended up doing the, the the way through that challenge was to do this deep inner work was to really explore who am i who do i need to be who do i want to be yeah and and, and who I am, a, who I am I as, as a as a woman, as a as a in my feminine. Where is yeah. my feminine power? Yeah. Yeah. And how do I ensure in my relationship that I have that interplay? Because I can be very masculine. Because I've had to do it on my own, so I can fall into that. Boom! Right, get it. I can do warrior. I can do. I'm all right. I'm on my own. I don't need anyone else. I can push people away. Yeah, you know, I, I know this this part of me, and that that doesn't work in relationship. You know, my my partner, he's he's amazing. Um, so one of the things he loves to do is open my car door for me. So if he if I've popped into a shop and he's sitting in the car, and I get back to the car, he'll see me coming, get out of the car, <laughs> come around, and open my door for me. Oh, sweetheart, which is. It, it, you know, it took quite a lot because I, you know, me, independent 1980s girl of great strength and independence. I'm like, I can open my own door. <laughs> and he's like, can you just let me do it? Because I like doing it. Yeah. When we walk down the street, he will hold my hand. And if we cross the road, he'll hold the other hand. I'm always on the inside. So I'm always on the inside, which there's a part of me that could get a little bit annoyed because I've got to shift where my handbag, which side, which shoulder my handbags. It's like, I'm fine. I can walk down the street, you know, yeah. but it's, it's allowing my feminine to yield to his masculine. Mm. And then at other times, his masculinity will yield to my feminine. Yeah which he, he's also very strikingly independent and can do everything. And, you know, he went to boarding school and, you know, washing and ironing and cooking and all of that stuff. He's more than happy to do and capable of doing. And sometimes I want to do those things for him. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's, this leads on beautifully to, you know, as you know, we always talk about an act of kindness because kindness has been such a huge thread throughout my life it's always been the answer if I've usually by putting some kindness out there and it comes well whacking back in in a different way but you know those little gestures are so so much part of how life becomes more pleasant when everybody just you know maybe just yeah opens a door for you smiles um says oh I, I really I really prefer it when you're on the inside so I can just just be that little bit more protective yeah. Doesn't that feel good? You know, isn't that just how how we can make the world yeah. just that little bit more comfortable and accessible? So I'm really interested, you know, for you, what what especially when you were in those moments of deep vulnerability, were there sort of acts of kindness that just like blew you away? 
there was, I have a, 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 an old friend of mine. Um, he was actually my first love and uh, goes back to when I was 18. And when I came back, he lived in Dubai at the time. And he was, he was so kind, you know, and I, so I was literally clean, clean canvas sitting for what do I want to do with my life and I'd had I'd had very, you know successful career in my early life in in the hairdressing industry and teaching and you know, I worked for some amazing companies and and I didn't want to go back into to that mm. it was not something I really wanted I was kind of done with with all of that and I really wanted to go into coaching and do an NLP mastership um, neuro-linguistic programming master uh, master qualification um, and I was, I decided I wanted to do do a course, and I committed to doing a course. I found the course I wanted to do, but I didn't have any money. I just didn't have any money. It was like mm -hmm. there was no money. Um, but I still committed to doing it, and I'd said to the training company, "I, I'll, I will come at this enrollment time." And I just closed my eyes and thought, "I'm going to somehow. I'm going to going to do that." And uh, I was talking to this friend on the phone. And I was telling him that that's, that was what I wanted to do. And he sent me the money I needed to, to do that course. Wow. Wow. I love those stories. And because uh, I said, I'm, I feel so despondent. And he said, well, I'll send you some pundit then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. And it's been the beginning of a whole yeah. new chapter. Yeah, you know, and 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 I really so feel like it's kindness shifted that trajectory for me. I hope he gets to hear this. I'll send it to him. Yeah, definitely send it to him. And um, because you know, those things we don't even know sometimes what doesn't mean that much to us at the time. Yeah, can have such a huge impact on the lives of others. That's what I'm talking about with kindness. It's like you put out these ripples. Some of them are not not stressful, no biggie, not difficult. Yeah. And yet you've, you've caused a ripple around the world with somebody else thinking, oh my God, that has made such a difference in my life. Yeah. Someone seeing me, seeing my need. And we had a very long history and, and you know, he, he very much saw it as a, you've helped me, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to help you. So yeah. it had been a re reciprocal that's what's so beautiful. Then you're not even, you know, it's not like this indebtedness or it's just like, no. I just showed up as me. I was just kind when, when he needed it. And now, boom, here it is. And, and, and the thing that I'm learning um, currently, so one of the things that I found in, in life very difficult to do um, is ask for help. Yeah. And that's, again, men. That's probably why I resonate with them in, in this, is it actually actually saying I, I need some help or I'd like some help Hugely you know, vulnerable. I, I tend to do things because I can do them on my own I'm a big mm -hmm. strong girl kind of thing um and I've been learning recently through through one of my coaches that there is a gift in asking for help there is a gift for the other person being specific as well you know not just sort of yeah if you ask somebody really specifically can you do this for me then the answer is either very simply yes, or it allows them to go, not, not really, not right now. I, I, can, I, can, I can give you this, this, and this, but I, you know, what you're actually asking for, but getting really clear. And accepting help when it's offered. And yeah. Which then is another, huge. you know, how, 
and, and I'll put this as a, as a little illustration, um, which happened fairly recently. I, I just, my birthday in February, um, my partner took us, took us both to Versailles and we, we stayed in the Palace of Versailles at the hotel there and just had the most amazing four days. And when we arrived back in London, we came back on the Eurotunnel, we arrived back in London to find that there was an uh, underground strike. And we arrived back at five o'clock or something, rush hour. So now we're in the middle of London. We've got our cases. We've got to get across London to Waterloo from St Pancras. And it's chaos. So we got an Uber. It took ages and ages. We finally get to Waterloo. I've got this big, heavy case, and it's now six o'clock, and I get on the train. We, we, we get on the train at Waterloo and, you know, hump the case in, and there's only standing room only. There's no, there is nowhere to sit. So I'm hanging on to the, to the bar that you hang on to on a train, and I've got this four-wheel suitcase that's rolling around. There's no brakes on it, so it's, you know, I've got to hold that still. And my back, I, I have a bit of a dodgy back, and it was really painful, and standing up was incredibly hard. And I'm standing there, and this young man is sitting and he looks at me and he says, would you like my seat? And I said, no, thank you. I'm fine, is what I said. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, are you sure? And I went, no, no, really, I'm fine. I'm in pain, I'm struggling, but no, no, I'm fine. And my partner behind me whispered in my ear, take the seat. Take his kindness. He's <laughs> offering to help you. I was like, oh, so I said yes. He gave me his seat. He actually found that there was another seat further down the carriage. So he actually just found another seat. Right. And I sat in this seat and I, it was just like, oh, it was bliss because my back had been so painful. And I thought on this afterwards and I thought, so that's, that was a lesson in accepting help. But then I wondered to the, to the position of what if I'd have got on that train and I'd have looked at those people and said, excuse me, but would somebody give me their seat? Mm. And allowed somebody to gift me their kindness. And you'd have had 10 people stand up. And asked for it. Yeah, yeah. And that filled me with a sense of, wow, powerful. Yeah. So to ask for what you want. Yeah. It's a gift. It's in it that people want to help. We, we're innate. That's who we are as humans. We like helping other people. We do. And, and you're right. It is a gift because you allow people to get that feeling of, oh, I did just help in a very specific way that I could see was, yeah, because somebody and asked. asked me for help and, and I was able to step up and say, yes, I can help you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so everyone wins. So true. The gifts, you know, acts of kindness and gifts are wonderful things. And we all, I think, men and women need to learn that just being this strong, independent self is not, it, it doesn't no. form connection. It doesn't, it doesn't create community and and, and you know it's also a really powerful currency that gives you that that sense of 
oh, actually, I am contributing. I am making a difference to some people. I am helping out where I can. That's also very fulfilling in its own way, you know. At a very human level. Yeah, yeah. So one of those needs almost. Mm. I could sit and listen to you for hours, Fiona, but we must move on to the last question I always ask people because it's one of my favourites. It's just all around music. And I'm sure you've got, with all your amazing sort of life that took you to India and travel around the world. Mm. What's the, what's the song that you want to add to my collection? There is a song that I play if, if I need to feel really in connection with, with who I am and what I do. Oh, I love those songs. Um, and it's called Rob Thomas, All That I Am. All That I Am by Rob Thomas. That's not a song I know, but I'm now very intrigued to listen to it. And yeah, doesn't that just sum it all up perfectly? Yeah. And listen to it, listen to the lyrics of it. Oh, um, yeah. It's... It's often one I will play before I see a client or I work with a client. Yeah, just to put you into that space. And isn't it interesting how we can have, and I think for a lot of us, it is a song that just sets the tone, that just reminds us perhaps who we are, who we need to be in that moment. Yeah. Now, before Could we move be Rolling Stones as well. <laughs> well, well what, yeah, that. what's the story about the Rolling Stones? <laughs> I just love the Rolling Stones. Oh. I love the Rolling Stones. I, I, I love so much different music. I, I okay, I'm going to grant you a wish. So we don't have any Rolling Stones on the list. If you had to pick a song from the Rolling Stones, what would it be? What would it be? Um, oh, goodness. There's so many good Rolling Stones. I can't, I can't pick one. Oh my goodness. Well, okay, I'll allow you to send me, send me, have a, put some thought to it. Send me the ultimate Rolling Stones song, which you think should be on the, the list. ultimate Rolling Stones song um, would have to be Start Me Up. Um, for many reasons, I say that. Not because it's my favourite song, but because it's somebody else's favourite song. Oh. And, well, not favourite song, favourite Rolling Stones song. I mean, Sympathy for the Devil is genius. The, just the musicianship, the structure of the Rolling Stones, the passion, the, the messaging, I, I just... There's, there's not there's not anything about the Rolling Stones. I don't love. Well, I love things that light people up. You you literally you shifted in your seat and you're like, oh my god, I've got to tell you the story about the Rolling Stones. Yeah. But no, I think I think we can't have a a fully collective playlist without some Rolling Stones on there. We only just got the Beatles the other week, so we've gone. You know, I'm now a year into this, and and the Beatles was picked for the first time oh, a year wow. in. So. I think we can afford to add. And that was, a, it was a really interesting period in music because if you look at the similarity between the, the two is that there are some really serious songs, there's some really funny songs, both the, the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones have done really funny, funny songs. Yeah, um, yeah. they were playing, they were messing around, they were having fun. Romantic, very touching songs. You know, it's such a, a wealth of emotion. Yeah, in, yeah. In, both of those artists work and I think it was a great period in um, music 70s I think was an amazing yeah amazing period sure. for music sound but stuck in the 70s possibly 
For sure. So I will make sure that the Rolling Stones, as well as Rob Thomas, goes onto the list. And before we move on to your, the final piece of wisdom you want to add to my collection, I know you're very heavily involved in a, what sounds like it's going to be an amazing event. This, mm. in the, it, we're going to release this episode about 10 days before the event. So hopefully there'll still be tickets available. But so. tell me a bit about um, the ultimate experience and Steve Hardison, the coach you're working with. Um, so it's Steve Hardison who who loves Start Me Up. That is one of his songs. Oh, is it? Oh, well, there you go. There you go. That's why I said it's got to be the ultimate Rolling Stones yes. song. Yes. So the so Steve Hardison is a coach that uh, lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and he is known as the ultimate coach. And he's written a book, or his wife's written a book of that name. So which... his, his biography has has been released. Yes, written by his wife and researched by a gentleman called Alan Thompson. And although it's a biography, so if you were to just read it as a book, you would read about this man's life. You would read about it from his childhood through to his current, you know, his family, everything. It's a biography. And it's not a biography because its, it's message is, it's otherwise known as the book of being. Mm. And your being is everything and this has been i've been in personal development for a long time and i've done a lot of courses and i've studied and learned a lot of amazing things and i'm sure it's been in some of what i've learned but it wasn't till i saw steve hardison's life story that i realized how important who your being is yeah so I would recommend this book to anyone because you will have, you will come out of reading that book, a different person to the person you went in. So I went to Phoenix, Arizona for the official book launch of this, of this book. So I went to the ultimate experience in Phoenix, which was an event that changed my life. And I was very lucky to meet Steve and um, experience him firsthand. And we're now doing an ultimate experience London so he's coming to speak his wife is coming to speak and we've had a couple of other great speakers for an event that if you attend that event as an event not about Steve or about any of the other speakers on the stage but about yourself of who you're being remarkable things will happen so yes I'm on the I'm on the creation team for that I'm looking after kind of the details of the event and the crew and making sure that the experience of everyone in that room is as, as wonderful as we can make it. And just to sort of highlight, Steve Hardison is not someone who travels very often. He's renowned for being quite, um, yeah, just, just keeping himself to himself. He's not one of these people who's out there on stages no, 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 very no, often. He, so this is really a rare opportunity. He, I mean, he, he doesn't, he, did, he was never going to write a book. It took, it took Alan Thompson quite a long time before he finally agreed to, to have a book written about him. Wow. Um, but no, he doesn't, he's not a big one for traveling. He likes, he loves to be at home and his clients all go and visit him at home. They see him at his home office. He's, he's not a man that you, you get to travel very often. And, and it, the investment to work with Steve is massive. Mm. To be able to go to an event in London and be be in a room with him and, and hear his great wisdom um, for 100 and 
50 something pounds for a ticket yeah huge. is the best money you're going to spend to be honest absolutely so that's so, happening so we are we're we've sold a lot of tickets i think we've sold we've, i think we're up to 400 so there's not that many left wow um, so it's happening on the 30th, 30th of april it's an all-day event sort of 10 till 5 but yeah. very much a once in a lifetime experience registration will open earlier than that because getting all those people in and registers mm, mm. it's going to be a full day but it's going to be an amazing day and everything no nobody's going to come away from that that um that day not not feeling a shift in who they're being in the world yeah yeah absolutely and i i i'm very sad i can't be at the, the event myself i'm going to be in singapore but i did gift um a ticket to a friend oh did you because i'm a firm believer in these things sort of yeah things will just what comes around goes around you'll yeah, yeah you'll absolutely. see the, the impact of it um well, do let me know the name of your friend and mm, will do will do um so before we leave i just if you have a piece of wisdom that you'd like to add to the collection one thing that's really helped you maybe act as a guide throughout your life what would it be Something that I, that's been there throughout my life. Gosh, be a giant. Don't don't live small. Love it. Oh, I love that. That's so powerful. That's going to be whatever it is that you do. And if that's you know being a stay-at-home mum, be the best stay-at-home mum you can be. Yeah. And if that means you're a CEO of a company, be the best CEO of the company you can be. And that really brings it around to, yeah, who you're being is so, so important. Um, you've obviously yeah. learned so much from Steve already. Oh, yeah. I have a feeling this is just the beginning of another <laughs> journey. Another journey. Yeah, yeah, another journey. Thank you well, so much. Thank you. No, thank you for taking the time. I know how busy you are. I know in the run up to the event, you've got so much going on. There'll be links in the show notes to that event. If you can still get a ticket, then I would highly recommend you do. If you're in the coaching world, and I know many of my listeners are, it's it's going to be life changing for sure. And no, I'd just like to thank you, Fiona, for being here and sharing all of that wisdom with us. There'll also be links to your website for anyone who's listening to this and knows a man in their life who could perhaps do with that trusted friend, someone they can relate to. And, and who's committed to making a difference for yeah. themselves. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the really important part. Part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Who, yeah. who really feels on the edge of something new. Yeah, I think so. But no, it's been an absolute pleasure. I knew this would be a great episode. I can't wait to share it with the world. And especially with some of my, my girlfriends, you know, this whole conversation about masculinity, the changing perceptions and roles within society, I think is just so relevant at the moment. So really powerful stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a powerful conversation. It's such a huge topic. And as I said at the beginning of this episode, one we can't really afford to ignore. I'm also hugely aware of the irony of having two women talking about masculinity when we can't ever really know what it's like to grow up in a society as men. However, Fiona's own podcast, No More Pea Soup, does bring in a lot more men to talk about the issues we've raised today and why she does the work she does. 
I think it's only fair to say that this is not about abandoning masculinity altogether, but creating dialogues and shifting the old versions of masculinity towards something that, that perhaps allows for more tenderness towards one another, and one where asking for help isn't seen as a sign of weakness or failure. And before I leave you, we had the tragic news this week of the death of Bill Lyle, who was only 57. Bill was a great friend and longtime colleague of my husband, Sim, and I'd like to send our heartfelt condolences to his friends and family and dedicate this episode to the memory of a really great man. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.